Hello everyone and welcome back to Eyes of the Mize. My name is John and Ian is unfortunately unable to join us because he is going to be doing army training for the next few weeks. However, you have me. And this week in particular, it is the week of the Pro Tour Amonkhet here in Nashville, Tennessee. And I got the opportunity to sit down with a few people to talk shop, magic, and the Pro Tour. And first up is the Archbishop of Azorius, Rich Hagen. I'm John Wells, sitting here with Rich Hagen. Rich, thank you for agreeing to join me. Thank you so much. So, Rich, you're in town for the Pro Tour, and you just came in from Richmond. Correct. How was that GP? Uh, Richmond's always uh, great, because the weekend before the PT, the limited GP is packed with big names. Round four feature matches of the limited GP the week before the Pro Tour are very frequently better than a Pro Tour top eight, uh, because we have, you know... All the lev all the three by players, the platinums, the world champions, the hall of famers come in. We don't have to wait for them to be twelve and three, right? Um, which is what you need, you know, to be IDing into Sunday or whatever. Um, so yeah, for round round four, Ajima, <laughs> you can you can frequently see two world champions playing each other not in the feature match area because nope they are quite clearly the sixth best feature match that round so yeah, uh, yeah I, I love the limited event the, the week before the PT uh, my favorite story from that is I was at GP Atlanta back for Kaladesh and I for my round four, my round six I was 5-0 uh, I sat down and I was and the person next to me was Ari Lax in a match and Cedric Phillips comes up and uh, says hey Ari do you want to test standard and Ari just goes I'm not testing standard in public yeah yeah and of course not. Of course no, no, not. No, 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 no. And it's just all the pros there, and it was, it's, it's definitely an event to watch, and I've been keen to make sure that I pay attention to the limited queues, especially when running into the Pro Tour. Yeah. Um, so let's round about real quick. Um, Rich, you've done so many Pro Tours and so many, and worked on so many Grand Prix. How did you get into Magic? Uh, so Matt, uh, that's very long, but the super quick version is uh, I moved house with my wife. Uh, we were pretty remote little village, not many friends, uh, were actively looking for a game to play. Uh, and she's not really a gamer, um, but we thought, well, let's see. I went to a little comic shop. I said, show me a game. Magic was the game. Uh, they had a tiny back room. It was basically a comic store, not a game store, uh, but they had a tiny back room. You could probably fit 12 people in it. Uh, I was the 11th. Everyone else already in that room had either been to multiple Pro Tours or would play at multiple Pro Tours subsequently. So what I thought I was doing was learning the rules of a game, but actually what I was doing was being taught by 10 of the best 20 players in the UK how to be competent at a competitive <laughs> level at this game. And it took me a while to realize that's what was actually happening. Right. Um, until they started going, no, don't do that. No, no, no. You want to hold that piece of removal for uh, for this because, of course, uh, this will do... And I'm <laughs> that isn't in the rules. No, 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 but we're teaching you how to win. <laughs> oh, okay, good. I like winning. Uh, so, yeah. That, so that, that was the starting point for Magic. So that's 1997. Okay. My first, so 20 years now. First tournament was the Tempest pre-release. Oh, wow. So, that is that yeah. is definitely way further before I play Magic. Um, so now I've lost my place because I am nervous. <laughs> um, so for Pro Tours, we usually see you at the news desk, mm -hmm. prim and proper, sitting next to BDM and the other coverage team. 
But we also see you occasionally for Grand Prix where you take a bit more of a behind-the-scenes role. Yeah. What tends to be your job at Grand Prix versus Pro Tours? So actually, in a lot of ways, they're, they're similar. I'm fundamentally a content creator and manager at both. So I'm responsible for all the content that comes out at the Pro Tour at the news desk. Um, I report to Greg Collins, who's the executive producer of the whole show, and together we plan everything that is not live match coverage. So whether that is a draft viewer or th this show we're doing some brand new limited stuff which we're very excited about, whether it's deck techs, whether it's player interviews, which team we're following, um, that's all planned in the weeks and months ahead of a Pro Tour, all the graphics, I'm responsible for making sure that everything that goes on screen is meant to be there and you know all that kind of stuff. And then I happen to do that from the desk where I'm public facing and actually directly interacting. At GP level, where there is an almost infinitely smaller number of people working on the product, that is very worth saying. Um, people, uh, Players, when they come backstage at a Pro Tour, are astonished at the Starship Enterprise that is behind the curtain. There are dozens of people working on the live production at a Pro Tour, and there are somewhere between five and ten people working on the live production at a GP. Right. Uh, and, you know, um, sorry to mention the M word, that is about money. Um, you know, um, and you can always choose. If you've got money, you choose where to spend it. Do you want yep. to spend it on R&D? Do you want to spend it on D&D? Do you want to spend it on uh, Magic Digital Next? Do you want to spend it on art? Do you, you know, um, and even within coverage, we're constantly going, how many GPs? What regions? Uh, how much live? Do we want to delay coverage? Do we want, um, you know, there's, there's a finite pot of, of money and we spend it as carefully and as wisely as we can. Um, so I had a GP level, so a vastly smaller team. I produce pretty much all the GP coverage. So I'm on site at almost every GP that's live. Um, although we do now have partners in that we'll have a few, uh, for example, Channel Fireball. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not at those events. So there's like four, four to six GPs where there's live coverage where I'm not directly involved on site, but right. pretty much uh, everything to do with personnel management, getting the commentators in the right place, deciding what matches to show for time walk, you know, just so this weekend when you didn't get to see game three of Eduardo Sanchez in round five, that was my fault. <laughs> yes, it was. It was all me. Um, and, you know, talent training and just trying to get, you know, get the depth chart so that we can have when we've got weekends like Amsterdam and Omaha, we've got two complete teams on opposite sides of the Atlantic, both producing live content on the same day, which is very challenging. Um, so, uh, yes, I'm fundamentally production the whole time, but then sometimes I get to just have some fun by being what I, in a sense, would self-identify as, which is a straight entertainer. Mm -hmm. And I get to be without any filter, just straight talking to you, the audience, about the game we both love. And right. that, that to me is so refreshing because I've done all the work. I've been, in some cases, literally thinking about introductions to segments for two or three months. So when it just comes to just running it off the tongue, I, I love all that. So 
Oh yeah, th that's the difference. So I think it was it was a few approaches ago. I think where it was John Finkel and Kai Bude on uh, on like a match mm -hmm. that was like off camera. They were like four and three or five and two or whatever. Not yeah. seeing that was. Yep. I bet that I bet the feedback, uh, the backlash on that didn't feel too great for from your perspective. Well, the thing is, the the simplest way of putting it is in a field of four hundred, you roughly divide them into two. There's two hundred people who are thrilled to be there and hoping for the best and hoping to do well and have dreams of the top eight, of course. Mm -hmm. And one of those two hundred might win the PT. Yeah. Then there's the other 200, who are the Platinums, the Golds, the Silvers, the GP winners, um, as opposed to the, I had my first GP Top 8, but, you know, the right. champions, um, the, and the Hall of Famers. And five or six of the Top 8 are likely to come from that half of the field. Now, if we have three or four feature matches, then it is inevitable... Well, let's just do do math. There's 25 top 25 players. Mm -hmm. 17 of them, at least, will not be in the feature match area in any given round. Right. That's if four of them got paired against each other. Exactly. Now, can I imagine? Because I, I had big dreams for, for Magic coverage, and I'm a huge sports fan. So I've grown up with what I might call, you know, like years 70 to 80 of Wimbledon tennis coverage. Right, because and and sports that you see are a hundred years older than Magic. What's the coverage of? Oh well, we've got the MLB Network now on our iPads, mm -hmm. right? You know, or uh, ev every major North American sport has its own subscription model, and you can watch every game of every team. Now, I can absolutely imagine a world in my lifetime where there are thirty-two feature matches at every Pro Tour, every round. And basically, the, all the top 25 have their own sub-channel. You can watch every single match of Corey Baumeister's son 30 years from now. Right. Right? But right now... We've got four feature matches. We've got four feature matches. And, and in general, we tend to... We tell the story of the season, mm -hmm. and we tell the story of the tournament. And if... Let's say that John and Kai had been 5-2. and two. I would say 98% chance that's a feature match. Right. At 4-3, and three, much less so. Um, because they are overwhelmingly likely, even as the winner, to not be in the top 8. Right. Whereas the GP runner-up, the 22-year-old you don't know, who's at 7-0 and o against the Asia-Pacific with two Pro Tour top eights, well, it's actually quite important to find out who goes eight and no. Yeah. So that's where we start. Um, now, it is worth saying that at the Pro Tours, because I'm at the news desk, I don't actually pick feature matches at Pro Tours at all. Right. Um, they appear in front of me, and I go, that sounds good, and I don't even see the pairings until we're into the round. So, so you see go, eight names. I, yeah, I, I literally get... The feature matches this round are, and, and I read them out off, you know, either from what's coming in my ear or what's in front of me on, on the iPad. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I have no, no input in, on, in that at the PT. It's also worth saying that at the GP level, our goal is often about simply, in a, in a shorthand, who's best? 
Right, so um, if Seth Manfield and Owen Turtonweld are still in the tournament, it is much more likely that we would show one of them against someone who probably you've not heard of, rather than two people who you may have seen once in a feature match but equally don't know anything about. The, the star power of the absolute best of the best is very important to us at the GP level. Right. Because, whereas, uh, say, Ryan Hare, who's someone I have a lot of time for, he won Grand Prix Pittsburgh, and I'm mm -hmm. really hoping he does well this weekend in national, because I think he may be real. Okay. I think he may be a lot more than, quote, just a GP winner. Interesting to see, because he's played on a few PTs and hasn't made the leap yet. But I'm... I'm, I'm really, so I'm really interested in, in him. But there is a good chance that he is not going to be at the forefront of a whole season mm. in the way that uh, Corey Burkhart or Owen Turtonwald or Seth Manfield are. And equally, a John Finkel or a Kai, we're going to see them four to eight times a year, not 20 to 25 times a year. Martin Uza, meanwhile, who is trying to get into the Hall of Fame and has just had his 25th top eight this past weekend in Bologna, uh, and had top eighted the last PT, and is absolutely devoted to the game in a way he has never been before. That's a story we get to tell in Dublin, and in Bologna, and in Nashville, and in Montreal, and in Kyoto. Yeah. And that through run is super important, because um, magic changes a ton. Mm -hmm. Right, every single pro tour looks completely different because it's an ally with a new set, and so for us to have some of those familiar faces that you do get some semblance of rooting for, and or even if you don't root for them, you at least know their arc, you know what their story is, and this is why the team series has been so fantastic for us, absolutely glorious. Everything that happened in Dublin matters, right? Team Team Channel Fireball Ice who are in the top 10 right now, mm. and Team Mutiny, who, which is the Josh Cho, Jerry Thompson, right. uh, Sam Black, Justin Cohen group, uh, David Ochoa is in that as well, um, and Matt Severa, that's number six, there we go. Um, they are 10th and 29th, I think, doing this from memory. That has been true since the last day of Dublin, and they will start in those positions on Friday. The next episode of the team series soap opera. Yeah is going to, going to start with that handicap for those two teams. So what, where do their stories go from there? Can, is it too late for Mutiny with only three, three tournaments this right. season? You know, and next season, that arc will be a bit smoother because we'll have four, obviously, Pro Tours. Because this time, Team Series, we did a soft launch in Dublin. See what people thought. Turns out people loved it. Hooray. We love it too. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love stories. Can yeah. you tell? <laughs> Not, I mean, we also had uh, the Christopher Kula story finally getting passing the Hall of Fame threshold in a, yeah. a few GPs ago. Yeah, he uh, top eighted GP Orlando, which you were at. I was at. Um, I did not do as well, unfortunately, as he did. <laughs> Most people didn't. Most people didn't. Uh, Yoel Larson, however, did do very well at that. It is very true. Um, so, moving on, you've obviously been to a lot of Grand Prix and a lot of P and Pro Tours. What's been one of your favorite coverage moments, either as a commentator or just to see unfold? Wow. That's super hard. There are there are so many. Um, I love 
this is weird because it sounds a bit humble and I, I, I don't sort of mean it quite in that way but I love being reminded how little I know mm. and a lot of the time that's a low level awareness like it never it would never occur to me that I'm as good as the pros I know I'm not and that's a constant and that's fine but that's low level that's just in, that's just like there's weather outside it's not sunny it's not cloudy it's just weather it's there it's always true the yeah. pros are better at magic than I am so I don't, I don't think about that but every so often two players combine for something so gloriously cerebral and above anything I could ever imagine attaining that I realise I'm watching something that is well above and beyond a game or sport or competition it's it's basically art it's mm -hmm. a, it's a dance right and it takes two to and i'm not doing the two to tango joke but it takes two to, to do that dance and i've and there are a couple of occasions i've i've seen that um i watched um both at grand prix level Patrick Chapin against Guillaume Afatapa, um, which was in GP Rimini in a long time ago, I want to say like 2008, 2009. And they were, you know, a lot of pros say, oh yeah, I'm planning a couple of turns ahead. By turn three of that particular game that I watched everything of and tried to make sense of, it was clear that they were arguing in the language of the cards over something that was still probably half an hour away in real time because they both understood so precisely the nature of everything that not only their decks could do but what they as human beings and magic players could do with those resources right it wasn't the cards were almost incidental and half an hour later it, it resolves itself, and a similar thing happened at a, a Grand Prix with Olivier Ruel was one of the players featured there, and it was just yeah okay, you are playing a different game, not just to one that I've ever played or could ever play, but basically a different game to one I've ever seen, mm. um, and I find talent extraordinarily compelling in anything. Right, right. If if you are a, a street artist. I think that's awesome. If you're an architect, and I, I love architecture, but know nothing really about it, but if you are a good architect, I just think that's amazing. If you're a watchmaker, I think that's amazing. I think talent is arguably the single most exciting thing on earth. Right. So watching the best be demonstrably the best is amazing. Okay. Awesome. So you mentioned stories. What are some storylines that we might? want to be paying attention to coming into Grand Prix, or not Grand Prix, Pro Tour Nashville, Pro Drama Cat, either the team series, players, what are some of the big through lines that we're pulling at? Yeah, I mean, teams teams are a huge thing. Um, I, I think there's sort of several interesting sort of angles to that. Um, in a way, the the easy bit, which is the super teams, you know, you're kind of Peach Garden Oath plus, um, you know, and it's like four Hall of Famers, one guaranteed future Hall of Famer, and someone who's, you know, probably a pro tour top eight away from consideration. In a way, just saying they're good is, is meaningless. Of course they're good. They're, they're the Yankees. Yeah. It, that, that doesn't matter. In a way, I think a lot more interesting is the Kansas Cities, yes. for want of a better term. Um, so there are, um, th there were some teams that came together in Dublin because why wouldn't you? 
Right. You know, and there, I think there is one of the 32 teams that has nobody um, qualified for Armand Kett. I think that's true. Um, and you know, the, the winner, Lucas Espobertu, mm-hmm. uh, he is the one remaining representative of Dex third. Oh, really? But if he wins again, and then three <laughs> of his five teammates qualify back again for Kyoto through RPTQs or mm-hmm. Tomania GP or whatever, oh, who knows? Um, pretty unlikely, but not impossible. Um, so I find those really interesting. And I'm also already, because this is the middle of the three acts for this season. Right. Um, I've already mentioned I love sports. Looking towards next season and going, okay, well, there are going to be some teams with six very talented players who one person is going to go off and get married and will change job, move to the Bahamas, whatever. So now we're at five. And then the question is, do those five who were not successful this season bring on a sixth? Or suddenly... Is there a Hall of Famer, two Pro Tour champions, and two people with 500 Pro points between them on the market mm. for next season? And the free agency, if you like, right. um, of those pros going into the second season, particularly when the teams that have done okay are trying to work out, did we do okay and surpass expectations? Or is that below where we think we should be? And actually, we'll take care of it with variants. We'll have another season together. So there's going to be a lot of deep thinking going on in amongst the team season. And I love all that because I love the people. Right. Right. I've always loved the people in Magic. I, I think I think they're very, uh, in some way, uh, I don't know if you know the word Corinthian, um, which is a sort of subtext. For those who don't, it's like a nobility. There's a certain honor, a certain dignity. Um, a certain bravery to putting yourself on the line. Like, one of the things I love about coverage is every day I go to work and everybody wants me to be good at my job and succeed. Mm -hmm. As a player, you sit down every round and 100% of the people you're facing want you to lose. You've never sat down for a game of Magic except against the guy in the car with you from the PTQ. Of course. Who actually wants you to win that game of magic. So the fact that you can relentlessly put yourself through, you know, some of the longer term players have played two, three, four thousand competitive matches at GP level. That's four thousand times you've sat down with just you and your brain and deck of cards to justify why you've traveled five hours on a plane and spent a thousand dollars to spend a weekend trying to demonstrate that this combination of cards is better than that one. I think that's really, I think that's really noble and pretty, pretty outstanding. Right. So I love the pros, uh, and I, I love the first-timers, and I love seeing the people who are going to become pros one day. And in a way, I like the failure too, because I think often you, you learn, well, you, there, there is the, the cliché, you learn a lot more from failure than, than from success. And you lose a lot in Magic. Mm -hmm. Everyone loses a lot in Magic. And I find watching people respond to that and decide what it tells them about themselves in the the stillness of their soul, if you like, um, that's what keeps me coming back for, for more because that is the human condition and it is one of the miracles of Magic that you can... Maybe you can't define somebody else by magic, but you can certainly choose to define yourself by 
those little cards in those packs, which is extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we have so many people who are coming to Nashville, which, by the way, just had a huge sports moment of their own with National Hockey League, with the National Predators winning, it's just crazy to me in some places. As a side note, uh, as a sports fan, I like to get sports broadcasting moments into Mm -hmm. Magic. Uh, And I've had one in my back pocket for hmm, round about 14 years now. And I've never been able to successfully get it into a broadcast. And it was a description from ESPN in the mid-1980s about a slap shot goal Mm. in in hockey, ice hockey, for those of you who wanted to confirm the difference. Uh, And the description went, watch carefully now, vulcanized rubber here, vulcanized rubber there. And I really want to get that into a magic commentary sometime. <laughs> that, is a, that is a puzzle. And, yeah. And, you know, eventually there'll be a tribe that it won't be Vulcans because that's Star Trek. But there'll be, you know, there'll be some elasticity thing. And I'm like, OK, elastic, that's rubber. I'm, I'm in. OK. You know, and, and it'll, ha- it'll be a 4-2 for 3 with haste. Yeah. And they'll be, watch carefully now, vulcanized rubber here, taps it, vulcanized rubber there. And I'm like, that will be it. That'll be the moment. I'll be like, I've won. I've won the world of magic coverage forever. Um, so, yes, go Predators. Oh, yes. Um, hopefully they do well. This is the furthest they've ever gone yeah. in an 18-year-old uh, franchise. Oh, so. I know. Um, so, there's another thing that we can always look at for the Pro Tour, aside from the players and the teams, yep. which is the decks. Yep. And we had one huge shake-up yep. a week ago on Wednesday. Yes, we did. The Felidar Guardian. Uh-huh. The cat had to go. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts from either a player or a coverage perspective on the cat going away? Well... Uh, thank you for making that question easy, uh, because I thought it was going to be really hard. Uh, because if you were going to if you're going to ask me about it as a player, then I think it's very difficult. And if you're going to ask me as a some notion of greater good, capital G, capital G, that was going to be very difficult. But if you ask me about coverage, super easy. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! It's fantastic. Are you kidding? Yeah. Um, it is literally, let's open up the doors and let's create some space. And whereas six weeks ago, Shaheen Sarani, one of the great control players in modern magic right now, uh, I don't mean capital M, I mean recent magic, uh, knew that there was nothing he could do and, you know, that Tima Dynavolt Tau was kind of the best or the least bad option against, you know, um, now he gets another crack at it. Now he may still not find anything to beat Mardu Vehicles, who knows, whatever. But the door got unlocked from that point of view. And certainly, you know, we would much rather have people watch us than not watch us. Right. Shockingly enough. And therefore, it is great um, that there is a at least the possibility of a stretch of sand with no footprints on it yet. Right. So that's fantastic. Of course it is much more complex. Yeah. Once you get down to player expectation, collection management, trust in the game, trust in the secondary market, all the myriad complexities. And actually, one thing that has come out of it that I find incredibly useful um, is I found an all-new, reliable test for whether someone is a smart human being or not. Because if this crops up and anyone decides to say, let me tell you, if I was in R&D, I would, I go, no, you can stop now because I know for a fact that if you were in R&D, you would not be able to pontificate in the way that you are because the amount 
of decision making that does in fact go in to those extraordinarily complex things of dare we leave it, dare we not leave it, which part of our player base is upset? How upset are they? Are they vocal or are they truly defeated? Do they hate magic or do they hate standard? Do we care? What do we care about? What is the most important thing? How... I, I, again, I say, the people who are certain about what to do, mm. so, someone I have a huge amount of time for in this regard, Matt Sperling, he came out and said it. He said, anyone who thinks they want this job of, you know, fixing standard, sorting it out, shouldn't be let anywhere near it because they will not have a clue how to fix it because it could it could be unfixable, he right. said. Um, and, you know, so... I think it's super difficult, and one thing, because I was thinking about this earlier today, I think one thing that people miss, go back to sports for a moment, two years from now, it's possible that no one outside of Chicago will remember that in the 2017 draft, Chicago moved up from three to two in round one of the NFL draft for someone that they could almost certainly, it turns out have had at three without giving away two round three or two round four picks, whatever it was. No one will think about that when they are at five and eight in the 2018-2019 season. But that still is having an impact. In the same way, when Wizards announces a thing and says, hey, you know what, 18 months standard, or we're going to go back to two-year rotations. A lot of people think, oh, okay, so they've, they've dealt with that, they've, they've moved it back. And yes, they've moved it back, but they've designed any number of sets with that 18-month, two-year thing in mind. Look, Gideon of the Trials versus... Ally of Zendikar. Right, Ally of Zendikar. Um, so, it is a super tanker, and it takes time to turn things around. So I think people are... Like, I think there are a lot of people who are very hopeful that Stanley's going to be much better... And I think most people imagine it will be much better than it would have been had Followed Our Guardian not been banned. But I do think it's certainly possible that it will take some time to get, you know, one of the best draft formats of all time relies on 249 cards. Yes. Right? People seem to love Armaquette draft. And that does not rely on any Kaladesh card, it does not rely on any Dragons of Tarkir card, does not rely on any card from 2004 or 1997. Right? Yeah. So, if you send that discrete package out into the world, it can be one of the best draft formats of all time. Mm -hmm. Creating a fantastic standard that people seem to love, and vintage standard, what a great thing it is, no pun. Um, that's hard, and it's hard to turn that around, and I think it will, you know, it may take some time, to get to a point where people's routine thought is, well, Stan is the thing I do, because Stan is just always great, all the time. Yeah. Which is what a lot of modern fans think about modern. Yes. Of course. Yeah, the one thing that I would be worried about is, the, because I like to think of things in mathematics because I was a math major in college. Oh, okay. So I think of predator-prey models, and if the predator gets removed, then the prey flourishes, and then what does that do to the ecosystem? Mm -hmm. And so that's the way that I've been thinking about all these happening bands and like well then what's the new prey and all that fun stuff yep um, and hopefully Felder Garden doesn't change too much of that being removed from the format if you were a player yeah 
what would be the standard deck you'd be sleeving up for Friday? So I'm going to give you an evasive answer. That's fair. It is Monday. Uh, no, and not because of that. Um, the answer to that is, I would play the deck that people better than me told me I should play, and I would not make the mistake I've made before by denying myself the opportunity to play such a deck because I was too scared to, because I believed I wasn't good enough to. Okay. And where that takes us back to is 2005 in Philadelphia, which was the Skins Pro Tour, uh, where I did a ton of testing. I, I'd qualified for that one at PTQ um, with no stick. Oh, boy. That's just the best constructed deck. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'm just going to take a moment. This is a... <laughs> Stick far and ice under ice a concept. Oh my! On turn one, thank you. <laughs> I love you, Chrome Mox. Anyway, um, yeah, you think of turn one? Yeah, Chrome. There we go. Anyway, anyway, uh, so Philadelphia, uh, and I was committed with a week to go to playing mono black aggro, which was a perfectly fine, fair, good deck. There were lots of white weenie decks out there. And that was fine too. That, and you know, sometimes you lost to those because they had whatever it was. They had a damage prevention spell that killed your guards. Was this the, would this have been with Kamigawa? This is Kamigawa. Had, okay, so that would yeah. have had the I forget the names of them now. But so the shoals or the hands. Yeah, I don't remember. Well, um, but then the week of the pro tour, Olivia Ruel, as it turned out, uh, someone spotted him on Magic Online playing Heartbeats of Spring. And that just rendered all the creature strategies a pile of nonsense. But I thought, I can't possibly play this deck because it's far too complicated. I don't even know what cards are in it. And, and I've not practiced with it. And I've played hundreds of games with my little mono black aggro deck. So I'll play mono black aggro. And I did. And I went one and three. And it was triple elimination. And I won $100. And I went home. And that's fine. But I denied myself the opportunity to play, if not the best deck, certainly a best deck because I just disqualified myself from that opportunity right. and that's dumb don't do that alright so the other big thing change that happened was we had for Project College and Ethervolt we had the top 8 bracket be kind of the staggered ladder almost right yep. and turns out players are still doing intentional draws in round 15 yep. back to the full quarterfinals semifinals finals yep good change bad change ambivalent yeah, I, I think it's six or one half a dozen of the other. Um, the reason for the change... Um, I'm sorry that the reason for the change didn't turn out to work out as being true. Because the reason for the change was... Let's... One thing that Wizards had learned is absolutely true, is that uh, sticks are very hard to make stick when you aim them at the players. Mm -hmm. And carrots are incredibly successful because players are always looking for value and EV and the correct answer. Right. So if you can demonstrate to them what the correct answer is, and it's aligned with your goals as a, a company, as what you want your game to be, i.e., let's say, people playing that game, right. uh, then that's a win. And they believe that this somewhat convoluted structure that we've had the last few PTs would demonstrate to players accurately that their best interest was more or less universally served by it being a 16-round tournament, not a 15-round tournament, which historically it has been for the most successful players. And 
you know, we, we can get into all sorts of conversations, into the weeds with IDs and whether that should be allowed and, you know, yeah, whether we don't, need, uh, we don't need no, to approach that topic. But um, it turned out that this was an area, it's kind of sweet, really. It was an area where some players, they let heart rule head because the emotional validation of I made the top eight of Pro Tour uh, was vastly more important to some people than the idea of having a better chance of being the champion of Pro Tour. Uh. And partly that's because everyone knows that it's vanishingly unlikely that you're going to win the Pro Tour. There's 400 people there. So your chances, you start with a 0.25 of 1% chance if you're an average, if you're the 200th player. Yeah. In, right, if you're, if you're like the average player at the, at the PT has this tiny, tiny chance. Right. Um, but top eights are how magic careers are the determined. Fires. That is the currency of, oh, it doesn't matter that he's got 20 some GP top eights. He's a three Pro Tour top eight person. This person is a five pro tour top eight person. This person is clearly better at magic. It's the shorthand. It's not always true, but it is the shorthand. Um, and so, if you're not changing the player behaviour, which is what the goal was, mm -hmm. um, you know, let's have more round sixteen matches. Let's have a, a more obvious, transparent race for the top eight, uh, and let's make Sunday really matter that one is better than a home court advantage in, in a course. sense. Um, and it wasn't enough. And I imagine, I don't know, I imagine that somewhere in a closed room, people started talking about, so what would it take? And you start going, well, you know, what if you make it best three out of five and the higher seeds one nil up? Right? That'd do it, wouldn't it? Yeah. I imagine. But just think what that would, oh. would, would cause. So instead they went, okay, you want to get to the top eight, we understand that experiment hasn't worked. And the cost of the explanation, because it was a convoluted mm -hmm. system, it was fine, it wasn't desperately complex, but it was a lot more complex than one, one eight, two, seven, three, six, yes. four, five. Let's let's boil it all down. Um, and you know exactly because again, particularly in this country, NBA, you've got your bracket. Yep. There is no way that the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots, both uh, Miami Dolphins being my team, I know that we will never beat New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. It can never happen yeah. because the bracket tells me so every year. Yeah. Now, we can beat them in the conference championship, but that's it, right? Yeah. And there's something really solid about that. And, I, and it was great for a lot of viewers that on Saturday night, the bracket would go up, you'd see the top eight, you'd see where your guy or girl was, and go, okay... Good, good quarterfinal matchup. Now it's going to be one of these two in the semis. Well, I hope it's them because otherwise that's a bad matchup. But this would be a good one. And then who do we think would come out of the top half? And and I love that kind of the the barroom conversation yes. of Saturday night. And our version of the Saturday night barroom conversation was all right. So this is quarterfinal stage one, and this is five feet. Yeah. So yeah, but. Mm, okay, won't do sideboard interviews then because they won't know if they're playing. Their oh, but we could because they're going to play. They have to play one of those decks, and they're both the same deck. So, so we could. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, yeah. So, I, I think net net plus, but I do think it's a shame. 
because I would love to find a good incentive yeah. for that round 16. Because at its purest, a game or a sport should be about playing it, not not playing it. Right. And that's not about magic, that's about any sport ever. So if there is a sport where the rules are set up in such a way that you are incentivized to not play the game that you love, that at the very least is disappointing. Yes. If nothing else. So, okay. yeah. All right. So we've talked a little bit about standard. We also have draft. Yep. First three rounds of both day one and day two. Have you been enjoying Amaket Limited? Love it. Love it? Yep. Absolutely love it. Um, in your article today that went up, which was fantastic, by the way. Thank you so much. Uh, I mentioned this before the recording that I sadly missed the Vizier of Meaner Jerry's uh, pun. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, but you said that you gave it a one-word review. Fast. Yep. Care to elaborate? Uh, well, sample. Uh, I'll lay a mountain past the turn. You'll lay a one drop, which I'll magma spray. Sure. I'll lay a second card, uh, second land, and I'll play a Blood Rage Brawler. That's 4 3. I'll discard a card. Your turn. You lay a second land, you don't have a turn two play. Uh, on turn three, uh, I'm going to hit you for four uh, with my 4 3, and I'm going to add um, a Cursed Minotaur to the board. A 3 2, which has Menace. Yeah. Uh, so you're at 16, and I've got seven power on the board. You make your three drop. Uh, and it's a perfectly fine creature. And then on turn four, I go, here's a three drop. Uh, and I've now got one mana spare and two cards in hand. I'm going to tap my one remaining mana for Cartouche of Zeal on my three drop. Your three drop can't block. Hit you for four, plus three, plus three. Hit you for ten. You're at six. You're facing ten damage. I'm already heck bent. Thanks for playing. Fair enough. <laughs> that happens a lot. A lot. So, it's one of those, uh, we, we like to say, you know, people talk about fundamental turns, um, as, you know, where's the important bit of the game? You know, where, where's it really happening? Um, and it turns out that if, for example, you're doing the um, the throwback gauntlet from 1997, and you get to play, oh my god, the best magic of all time, Forbidian <laughs> against Drogo. The answer to that is, shortly past Thursday <laughs> is where the good bit of that match happens, and I love it, it's the best magic ever. But here... If you have done, if you're on the draw and you do nothing on the first two turns, by God, turn three better stick. Fair. You know, I better be an ancient crab that sits there and really sits there, because yeah, that that's what I mean by by fast. Now that yes. you know, there are there are grindy decks out there, but here's the thing: we are super sensitive on coverage to right. the speed of formats because we have a number of feature matches, and when they're done, we look at the clock and we go, okay. Another 38 minutes, roughly, till the next round, and there are no feature matches left. So, that's quite scary. Right. So, we don't like fast formats, <laughs> you know? Like, when, when four tables are 1-0 up to someone after six minutes, we're, like, cheering for the underdog all the oh, way. Yeah. Um, and, this is, and Richmond showed us that this is a fast format, um, and if you are going to fiddle about with your trial of knowledge on turn four, that almost certainly means you did something good on two and three to give you the time to do that trial of knowledge on four. Right. So that, that's what I mean. Uh, do you have a favorite deck that you've drafted so far? Uh, archetype-wise, yes. Um, 
uh, I think the Blue Black Cycling Deck is fantastic entertainment. Um, it does almost all the things I love doing in Magic. You counter spells, you draw cards, you draw more cards than they do. Uh, the physicality of the card draw off the cycling is just, just such a lovely feeling. Literally, the, the physicality of reaching for your deck and taking the top card off and adding, furthering the game. The fact that the land is so smooth because you're cycling all the time, mm -hmm. you never miss your land drops. Um, the fact that then you're getting value out of cards and then you just feel disgraceful when you, I, one of the things I love most about Magic is when you get to feel all powerful whilst you're doing inherently unpowerful things. Right. Because if you can make people feel like a king when they're actually a minor bureaucrat, that's a great way to avoid power creep. And I think some of the best fun in the format is where you go, turn one, I'll cycle Scarab, whatever it is, Scarab Feast. Um, and turn two, yeah, I'll cycle Shimmer Scale Drake. And turn three, I'll cycle something else. And then I'll wander in death two of those things back. Okay, so I didn't really cycle them at all. Awesome, that went well. <laughs> and then you cycle them again, <laughs> and then you do the excavation or whatever. The yeah, the second excavation. Yeah. yeah, and you just go, I have done so much stuff. Now, what you've actually done is nothing. You've done nothing, 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 nothing. Get back some stuff so you can do more nothing, and you feel king of the world. It's great. I had a deck where I was blue red spells with I had three sacred excavations in my in my entire draft deck. I only played two. Double Sweltering Sun, uh. Lay Claim, um, <laughs> a bunch of other cyclers. I only had one Shimmer Skull Drake, but that's because I had an Enigma Drake, I had double uh, Nibble Blade Kenra, the yeah, one three one, power three for us, yeah. and a Kefnet. <laughs> so I, I can definitely um, feel internet provider by the way. Oh of course. Kefnet. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um so we have some time, so let's go ahead and do a Amaket Cracker Pack. Okay. These are fresh out of a fat pack that I got a few days ago for okay. free, free, from free, uh, free comic book day. Okay. So our first card this, yeah. is Sparring Mummy. There's no universe in which that's the first pick. Nope, I can't think of one. 3-3-3-3 three, 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 and tap a creature when it's a battlefield. Uh, perfectly fine card in Black White Zombies, but never yeah. a first pick. Uh, we have Naga Oracle, which uh, kind of, sort of, Silumgar, or what was it, Tassigur? No. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, I am not a fan. Four mana for a 2-4. It has an ability, but not an exciting one. Uh, Tormenting Voice is our next one. Uh, that, I mean, I would be very sad if that was the first pick but it absolutely belongs in a deck that yeah. I like, so that's my card so far. Another card that's been disappointing for me, at least, Supply Caravan. Uh, yeah, no, five, five mana, fast format, I think we said it was fast, it's fast. Um, well, the spice must flow, we have the Greater Sandworm, or as some call it, the Greatest Sandworm. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, as I asked on Twitter over the weekend, how do you grate a sandworm? Um, and this is a perfectly acceptable card, uh, this would probably be ahead of the tom Tormenting Voice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a, your, one of your cards you mentioned earlier, Wander and Death. Uh, yeah, it's never a first pick. In indeed, one of the part, one of the great thing tricks that R and D pull is that they make sure that most of the cards that are just vanilla cards for the archetype get to table back to you once you've decided that's your archetype. So. Yeah, Wander Death has been one of the like the cards. Every time I'm playing Black, I always want one. I never want two, but I always want one. Yeah, that's pretty good. Naga Vitalist is the next one. If we wanted to help cast our Greater Sandworm, uh, I'm very interested in Naga Vitalist. I would, I would definitely. Consider taking that first from this lot. Uh, this is an unseen Naga Vitalist. Pursue Glory, or Trumpet Blast. No, 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 no. How do you feel about a Unwavering Initiate? It's two creatures, technically. <sighs> hmm. 
Uh, it comes back. It comes back in black. Why I would never take it first. Okay. I can't imagine. Still, Naga vitalist of the comics. Uh, we don't need to talk about Trespasser's Curse. We do not. Nope. It's true. I have died to it. Yeah. I, I, I must admit. And actually, it was really good gameplay. Yeah. I was re- really, really fun and interactive as you're at five and three and two. And then at one, and you're thinking, is there a way that I can still get around this? And there, and there was. Compulsory rest my own guy and sacrifice it. And then I got up to three. That means I can make two more creatures before. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Naga Vitalist of the Commons. So, Uncommon Time. Yep. We have Nest of Scarabs, one of the best build. One of the, well, not, maybe not best, but one of the favorite build arounds. Yes, you see, I think this is a, this is a super interesting card because I I don't tend to. Th- this is not a card that I take to go into that archetype. This is a card I take once I'm in the archetype um, because mm, yeah, I'm off of it. I would I would I, I I get it. It's a fine card. Personally, so far, I would still take the vitalist. Well, I think the vitalist is going to get uh, cast Swish. out. Uh, uh, flash O-ring. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um, the thing with that is that if I'm white, I'm most often black-white zombies. And if I'm black-white zombies, um, I'm probably... Yeah, I mean, yes, it's cast out. Yep, fine. <laughs> I'm now on cast out. One more uncommon. Uh, vizier, I more uncommon? Yeah. yeah, Vizier of Tumbling Sands. Uh, a little bit of a ramp creature that I found. Uh, it is yeah. great untapping your, your lands that have Gift of Paradise on them. Yeah, that's pretty sweet, uh, but cast out, no. obviously, yes. Yeah. So, it, it's cast out. We also have a full art forest. Yay, I'll take that. A warrior token, and unfortunately, a pretty bad rare, Harvest Season. Uh, yes, that is that is not much of... Uh, I have never seen that card cast so far. No, and you yeah, you probably won't in a hurry. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's cast out. It's um, There's not a lot of direction here. It's not a strong pack. No, cast out not by a mile, I think. Like... Cast like if you're looking at that, you're going cast out Naga Vitalist, Greater Sandworm, Unwavering Initiate, Tormenting Voice as like a five, maybe unless the Scarab's in the top six, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Ooh, that's yeah. that is not a great pack. The only good news is you're not really giving. I mean, you're not giving anything to anyone with that. Well, thanks for such an extraordinarily powerful pack. Yes, wonderful and awesome. Um, so, wrapping this up. Pro Tour is starting on Friday morning. Pros are going to be checking in on Thursday. What should be one thing we should be looking forward to on this at the broadcast? I'm hopeful. It's the first time we've done it, so I can't know at this stage. We have a new feature uh, that we're debuting this weekend. It would, would be debuting because it's new. Clever, Rich. Well done. Um, I think one of the great... Uh, leaps forward we might be able to make in magic narrative is the idea because I think a lot of people think that draft is mystical and magical and this extraordinary world where good people somehow have decks and ordinary people somehow have cards and we're doing a feature uh, we're calling them draft blueprints basically where we've asked a lot of very good players to give us middle of the range good versions of some of the archetypes and we've collated that data and gone okay so it turns out that if you ask a certain number of people um, all of them will have one horror of the broken lands in their blue black cycling deck and all of them will have a shimmer scale break and every single one of them will have one wonder in death and one unburden. Mm-hmm. 
and almost everyone will want two Hegma Sentinels, and so on. So you create this composite of what are the best people drafting, but then, because you've then got this, this blueprint, you can say, all right, sure, Hecma Sentinels is a card that has this ability, but we can all read that, so that's not news. But when you look at those 23 cards, and then you say, all right, so here's the deal. Part one, the core of the deck. What is it that cares about cycling? And then you just put up on screen the seven cards, and there's three commons, there's three uncommons, and the Drake Havens, the rare. <laughs> and you go, okay, so if you have these five of these seven cards, or, you know, so you, okay, you didn't, you didn't get the Faith of the Devoted, but you got an extra Hitman Sentinels, or you didn't get the Drake Haven, but, you, you know, you, you look at that and you go, that is what my deck is. It's not 40 cards, it's seven cards. Everyone can understand seven cards, mm -hmm. rather than, oh, I've got all this blizzard of cards and there's tons of things in my colours I'm not even playing. So you get that, you start with those seven. And then you say, but none of this works unless the plan can be executed. So let's look at part two. And then part two is you look at the cyclists, and you look at the curve of the deck, and you see all these five, six, and seven, lay, lay claim at seven, and the shimmer scale drake at five, and, and you think, God, this is so top-heavy. And they say, no, 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 it isn't, because they're cycling. So now let's lay it out the way it actually plays. Because people don't, because cards come off the top of the deck, so many players, for so many years even, when they're drafting, don't understand that line from turn one to turn six. And when you see that, in fact, in a good blue-black cycling deck, there are maybe three cards that cost more than three. Yeah. That actually cost more than three. Which is generally your Shimmer Scale Drake when you've brought it back with Wandering Death, and uh, a, an Angler Drake because it turns out that has synergy with nothing <laughs> other than the fact it's a 4 4 5 for 6 and it's really good, right? Um, and so then you now understand in exactly the same way, and this is the key bit, in exactly the same way as you understand that affinity is here are my artifacts, here is my payoff of my cranial plating, I will smash you unless you have destroyed lots of artifacts. Mm. You now have, here are my seven cards, here are my ten cards that make my seven cards work, here are my five cards that are just good, here is my curve, this is what my game will look like, and it will beat you unless you go what I said to you earlier, which yeah. was here's my 4-3 on turn two, here's my 3-2 with haste, and, and, and so on. And suddenly, you can do that every time you draft blue-black cycling. Um, we've done that for a whole bunch of the archetypes. And so instead of thinking, oh yeah, I know what some of the good cards are in colours and even in pairs, it's like, this is what the deck looks like. And form and versus function, sometimes it doesn't matter whether it's a second Pitiless Vizier or a second Hecma Sentinels. They both act as payoff for cycling. That's right. their bracket after them, right? They're one of the seven payoffs. So instead of talking about, I need this card, you're talking about, I need a collection of this selection of cards. Right, and, and, you, and you come to understand 
and, and it instantly, because of just the nature of the common-uncommon yeah. ra rarity structure, you come to understand that actually getting Hetner Sentinels is relatively easy, and when you have Drakehaven and Faith of the Devoted, that's awesome, and generally, Drakehaven will win you the game, Faith of the Devoted may not, because it turns out that draining for two might not be enough unless you've got enough early defence, and you start thinking about, okay, since you now know that you are essentially building that same deck over and over, over a period of 50 drafts when you've done eight blue-black drafts in that time, you start to understand that if you are in that archetype and you have the faith of the devoted but you don't have Drake Haven, well, maybe Dune Beetle and maybe Ancient Crab uh, and maybe Wasteland Scorpion, you stop cycling that on two and you start playing it on three because you've realised that the faith of the devoted is not quite fast enough yeah. against some things. So you gradually change your play pattern and all of that comes from not thinking of draft as cards, but thinking of draft as deck. And I'm hopeful that with Louis Scott Vargas and Ian Duke from Inside R&D, we're going to do four or five of these across the weekend, that we're going to be able to x-ray, to, to lift the veil on what are decks. Because I think a lot of people watch Limited and go, well, I'm not learning anything because I'm never drafting this deck. I'll never have that choice to make. You know, I'll never have this exact 23 or right. 24 cards in this limited deck. And you are going to play black-white zombies a dozen times if you play this archetype deep. And those choices are, are yours. The, pros, the choices the pros are making on Friday and Saturday morning, they are your choices. And I'm not sure we've always been able to explain that, yeah. even though we've always known that to be true. And I think this might be a step forward in... I'm really hopeful that, that around the world there are going to be people on Friday and Saturday lunchtime who go, huh, didn't know that's what was really going on. Because and then they can't wait to get down to FNM and go 03 yet again <laughs> black white because it's not that easy. It's not uh, that easy. Um, I mean, not, not everybody can have three noxious gear holes each game, like Shota did and Puerto Caladesh. Indeed. So, uh, yeah. So, so I, I think that's going to be super exciting. Uh, so that, you know, that's a very, that's a very coverage uh, answer. But of course, just as a fan of the game, I love stories and I can't wait to see what, what Armand Kett Standard looks like. Um, well, one more quick question before you go. Do you think Musashi or MTG Mancard will be dethroned as the top teams yes. in the team series? Yes. Do you have of a, course they will. Do you have a pick of who? Um, I mean, and, and I say yes, of course they will. Simply, that, that's easy to say. Just because math says they will. Yeah. Right? They've, like, from, from one event of three, six people have come in. They've played, six, most of them, 16 rounds. Five of them have counted. They're about to do exactly the same amount again. And if anything's taught us of a small field, like, for example, the Magic Online Championships um, or the World Championships, it's that things coalesce towards the middle. So there is every chance that the teams who got 50 last time are going to get 25 right. next time or 30. It is going to really tighten up. Okay. Now, who? I think both Channel Fireball teams are great. I think Genesis are great. Um, a lot of time for them. Um, I'm very interested to see what Dex Army won uh, does the, the lead team for them. Um, 
uh, who who else? I, I'm telling you, I can't wait to see. Um, very very little known. And in fact, I talked about it in the in the preview. Um, I refer to them as the uh, from my seminal classic, uh, you know, European Grand Prix pairings of round thirteen, two thousand and twelve, two thousand seventeen. Magic Corsairs crew. This this bunch of French guys: Elliot Busso, uh, Sam Vuillo, um, uh, is in there. Pierre Somon isn't that not household names? Right, but they clearly overperformed to be. I think they're seventh. Right, clearly overperformed, and enough of them are back that if they if they get their constructor debt right for a second event running, just that one thing, just that one thing, get a constructor debt right again. I think they're all good enough to do another ten, six, eleven, five, and it kind of range. Right, and that's enough for you know ten pro points. Um, and therefore, when the ones and twos and fours and sixes head down, that and that they're does. still ahead of the bottom catching up, I, I think it'd be really cool to see them in contention at least. For Gatsby. I don't really expect that they will get as far as the world championship, right. if I'm honest. But um, the, the, if you if you're not invested in one of the super teams, Magic Corsairs crew would be definitely a team to watch. All right, awesome. Thank you, Rich, for joining me. If people wanted to find you on social media, where can they do that? Uh, easiest place, I'm, I'm on Twitter, at MTGRich. Um, and uh, people who have comments on uh, coverage, uh, they can reach me uh, at, let me get this right, uh, yeah, MTG Euro Video. that's as in Europe, E-U-R-O, video, MTG Euro Video at gmail.com. Um, so you can do that there, um, but yeah, but, and I'm on Facebook as me, looking like me, sounding like me. Um, so, but but twi Twitter's where I'm around the, yeah. a good deal for sure. All right, awesome. Thanks again for joining me. Hey, you're very very welcome. Take care, everyone. Bye. And a big thank you to Rich once again for agreeing to talk to me. Uh, you ha heard all of his contact info there. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at jwiley129, and on Twitch by the same handle. If you want to reach the podcast directly, you can do so at Eyes and the Mize, or you can send us a more personal email at Eyes and the Mize at gmail.com. If you want to get in contact with Ian, you can find him at DixonIJ on Twitter and at twitch.tv slash DixDIX on Twitch. I hope you guys are buckled in because this week is going to have a whole bunch of content coming your way. In any case, that's been us. Talk to you all next time.